0: Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Liverpool Comedy Improv Cast with me, Ian Luke Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community and a place where we get to delve into all sorts of improv topics. And today, I'm very excited to welcome back to the show the superbly talented Jen Hardy. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're even available on Amazon Podcasts, which means you can ask Alexa to play the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. And now it's time to go off script and find out Jen's true story about making stuff up. Part 2. And please welcome back to the show. It's the fancha, fantastic, I can't even speak this morning. It's the fantastic Jen Hardy.
1: Hello, good morning. Well, it's not morning, probably for someone listening,
0: but it is for us. Good morning. The odds are that it is the morning for quite a few people listening. Uh, so I think we can get away with a good morning. <laughs>
1: Perfect. <laughs> How are you, Ian?
0: I'm all right, thanks. I'm all right. I'm I'm a little smoky. We had a bit of an incident with our log burner last night, and uh, now our living room is very smoky. Oh no! (laughs) Uh, Basically, we sort of I put some new eco log things in it, but they were quite big, and one of them bent and pushed against the glass. And but it was like so sturdy that it was pushing the glass out. So it like let smoke start coming out oh, yeah, yeah. so I thought right I'm gonna to have to sort that otherwise the room's gonna stink so I opened it to get a prodder to prod it in and as I opened it the flames just sort of came gushing out and oh, all goodness. alongside the log burner we've got logs stacked up and one of the logs caught fire <laughs> and then so I just shut the the door again managed to put out one of the logs uh, but then that log just was smoking away, and we we realised a bit later that even though we put it out, like it was actually singeing itself along the side. So then the room was stinking. So we had to sort that. So it was a bit of an ordeal.
1: Oh no! So you've gone from being very warm to having to open all the windows and doors, I guess, as well.
0: Yes, and um, and my clothes smell, and everything smells.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh, lovely! So, so you're fine then. That's good.
0: Fine, <laughs> but we were very warm at the time
1: yeah (laughs) Uh, so thinking about energy bills then
0: (laughs) well i'm super excited to have you back on the show because uh it's been over a year since you were last done it was summer of last year and a lot has happened since then
1: yeah just a little bit
0: (laughs) (laughs) so let's just talk about that because last time we spoke You were not part of Liverpool Comedy Improv and now you are synonymous with Liverpool Comedy Improv. (laughs) You are a massive part of it. Uh, Sort of co-teaching really, sort of with with Emma over the last year?
1: Yeah, so last time we spoke, um, I was about to cover my first drop-in for Emma um, because it was around the time that she had injured her back when she'd just got the puppy. And so I was about to cover a class for her. Um, and one class turned into two, turned into a course, turned into multiple courses. Um, so yeah, now I am a, an associate teacher for Liverpool Comedy Improv, which basically means that, um, every few months, me and Emma get together. We have a bit of a catch up around what kind of the appetite is in the community for more classes or for new things, shows and things. And then, we kind of put a bit of a plan together and anything which Emma doesn't have the capacity to teach because of other work and things, then that kind of comes my way. So that's our setup at the minute works really well.
0: So when it comes to putting a course together, do you just have something in mind that you think this is something I'd like to teach? Or do you think this is something that I I, I think needs to be taught? How does it I think
1: it's a bit of that and it's so from like things that I've recognized maybe doing teaching other ones and twos um it might be like actually I think that this theme needs focused on a little bit more whatever or it might be things that people have directly said oh Jen I want to do more of that how do I learn that or I've gone on a course or been in rehearsals myself and learned something and being like, oh, actually, I think that this doesn't get taught in Liverpool at the moment. So that's the way I've kind of navigated it. So the I'm starting to teach a new course from the third of November and um, for eight weeks for kind of intermediate level. And that course is a bit of a culmination, I reckon, of like lots of different things that I've picked up over the past year put into one. Um around how to build a, a good scene because I think often we race ahead and we do lots of other things where we forget about the foundation of what makes a good scene. Oh so yeah. My new course.
0: Sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to actually planning your courses, I'd like to talk to you about your process. Are you someone that has everything planned to the nth degree? Do you have just like a basic structure and then you know in your head what you're going to do with the rest
1: um oh no I'm a fail to prepare prepare to fail kind of person (sighs) so if I'm doing an eight-week course I plan probably about 25 hours of content which obviously not all of it gets used and during the session it might be okay we need to hone in on this one thing or whatever but each of my so eight and eight week course, each week will have a different, I guess, theme or hook to it. Um, so for example, when I do level two, my first week is always around physical object work. Um, and I have a set list of warm ups which work with that, and then kind of intros and then games that work with that, and then activities which focus on kind of, I guess, more two person scenes and one-on-one. So I have kind of it structured and anyone who's been in the class with me will have seen my iPad and I have an Excel spreadsheet on my iPad and I prop it up and have it ready and just flick through. Um, So yeah, it's all in one place. Excellent. Because
0: I've seen, I've worked with various um, different facilitators and teachers in improv and I've seen so many different ways of doing it. And some people have everything written, like, this is gonna happen and then I'll say this and then I'll say this and then this will happen. And then my approach is more I have like a loose like I know what I wanna do. I have all of, of the activities there. Yeah. But because I I guess because of of being I've been a teacher for nearly twenty years in primary school and at the start of that everything had to be planned. Yeah. Everything that you did, but then you sort of earn the right to plan less as you go on and use your intuition more, I guess. So when I plan things, I do have things planned, but it's not like a massively detailed plan. It's just, I want to get from here to here. This will will happen in the middle, but I don't have to super detail I think
1: it. if I'm doing a brand new activity or a game I've never taught before, then I tend to, as well as having it written, what I'm going to do, I like write out how to present it or how to link it with other work that we've done. But if it's a session I've taught a lot or if it's kind of a game I've taught a lot or an activity, then I'm quite similar of like, I know I want to do this, I know roughly how long it takes and I know where it links. Um so I don't tend to write it out verbatim or write kind of a plenary or anything like that. The days of doing that in schools are kind of gone for me. But yeah. Um But it's still daunting teaching. I don't know if you find this, but it's teaching adults who want to be there is very different to children who are mandated by the government to be in a room with you. Um, So I find the pressure is on a lot more with teaching improv than any teaching I've done before. Um, And even though I've been doing it for a fair while now, I still will walk into a room and be like, oh, my God, what if this group of adults don't like me? (laughs) <laughs> yeah and I've never felt that with kids so yeah it's a very different experience I think
0: yeah and I I totally get that and, and there is a sense of you could go and have a terrible day as a teacher but it doesn't matter because the children are going to have to come back tomorrow and put up <laughs> with you but I guess when people are choosing to be there you always want them to enjoy it because you never want to put anyone off because you want them to come back
1: yeah and also you There's a lot of pressure, especially at the moment when kind of money is hard to come by. People have saved to be on that course, and you want to give them every inch of it, whilst not overwhelming people as well. Because my experience is that you get a lot of different learning styles, and you get a fair few people who, and you're diverse. They learn in different ways. There you might have different trigger and pull points and things. So. You've got all of that to contend with as well, whilst you're also trying to give people value for money. I think yeah. it's such a hard balance because I've been in improv classes before where I feel like everything in the world has been thrown at me in two hours and I'm overwhelmed. But I've also been in sessions where I'm like, well, I don't know if I got my full money for that. So I'd never want people to leave my sessions thinking either one of those.
0: I think what you touched on there about the different boundaries that can come up. I think some of the most difficult improv sessions i've run have been when there's been just so many people there with so many different boundaries that Mm -hmm. it without meaning to it kind of it kind of it makes it difficult to flow because everyone's then really carefully trying to avoid certain things so it is it's a difficult thing to balance at times
1: and once, you, once you've once you got a group, like a cohort, if you're teaching an eight-week course, week one and two sometimes can be a bit rocky. But by the time you're in the flow of it and you know the cohort and everyone's kind of gelled together, it's way easier to teach. Whereas for me, stepping in and teaching <clears throat> like a drop-in or I went and covered a class in Leeds for my friend Jade Fernley um, a few weeks ago and I didn't know them and they all knew each other. Because it was week three of their course. Yeah. And I always think that's way scarier because you, especially with a drop in, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know who you're going to get. You know, you're going to get some of the like old faithfuls and old reliables. You're going to probably get Eddie. You're going to probably at the moment get Caitlin, et cetera. And um, you might get Egan. But then you, there's complete strangers who turn up and you're like, I don't know your experience of improv in the world. I don't know kind of if I'm going to say or do something or something's going to happen in this session, which is going to be a negative experience for you because of lots of things. So yeah. Drop-in's always scary, I think.
0: Yeah. I think with a drop-in as well, because you don't know who's going to be there and it could be that you turn up and it's like, oh yeah, great. Everyone here knows each other. So the intro introduction to this session isn't going to be, uh, getting to know each other session and going deep into the expectations and boundaries. It's just a quick recap of things. But then even if there's just one new person there that changes the whole dynamic of how it's going to go. And then the whole evening can be changed just because Mm -hmm. one different person is there.
1: And improv is, is its own entity. (laughs) It's, it's really, I think just from doing it for one session, it's really hard to to get the vibe for it sometimes. So I think that, especially if it's someone's first session, they always are going to come out like, what the heck was that? <laughs> um, look at me not swearing. Um, <laughs> uh, my mum is so proud. Um, but yeah, they'll always come away being like, what was that like? That felt different and strange. And some people embrace that and run towards it. And some people are like, I did this improv thing once and it was really weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah definitely now you mentioned about going into a session and hoping that it's going to be good i have the luxury of pretty much everything that i do i do with seki and sometimes
1: yeah.
0: sometimes i might just for whatever reason just get there and think oh i i'm not in the mood to do this today can you just run everything and vice versa so we have each other to fall back on which is which is always good
1: yeah, I am. Um, you do have to gear yourself up for it, but it's like anything. um I see improv. It's when I'm teaching. I don't really see it as a job. I see it more as something I've chosen to do. Yeah, it's the luxury of having a day job as well. So it's not like I'm like I'm doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. So I get to. Remind myself of that if I'm feeling a bit kind of like oh, I had a full day at work and it's quarter to seven and I and st- stood sorting out rooms above the fly in the loaf and sorting out tables. It's like no, no, I've chosen to be here, and I think reminding yourself of that. And as soon as you start, as soon as people start to laugh, um, you you get that like oh, okay, this is why we're here again. So yeah, always brings me out of whatever. I guess. Mood, I mean.
0: (laughs) Yeah, same here. By the end of a session, wherever the session, whether it's a session, I've run a session someone else has run and I've just gone to take part. By the end of it, I'm always like, Oh, I really needed that. But I think particularly when I'm running a session, I think it's just there's something in me that always panics before I do anything in that I want people to enjoy the thing that I am putting together for them whether that's like children in, in the classroom or adults doing some improv mm. when I was in a band before I went on stage to do our sets you know that was the thing before I go on and perform improv now I always want people to enjoy what I'm yeah. giving them so I think there's always there's always that that I have to get over as soon as something starts it started There's nothing you can do yeah. about it and I'm fully in it but until that moment
1: oh yeah before I go on stage I'm like I can't do this I'm not doing this I'm never going on stage again I hate it um normally if it for example i used to do gigs about the fly the low Al who was the bar manager would be like just have a shot of gin and go on don't be daft so he'd give me a shot of gin um and I'll normally go to the toilet and sit and have a bit of an existential crisis for two minutes and then I'm ready <laughs> so I think um And people say, you're not nervous. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I am, obviously I am. I'm just a good liar. Um, But I think there's always that kind of, yeah, what if I don't entertain this time? Pressure.
0: (laughs) And I spoke to Melina a while back about a stand-up audience. And I just want to talk to you about an improv audience because improv audiences are generally really nice. Yeah. And they mostly understand improv, But I have been in a few audiences where there are people that maybe they're not quite sure what improv is and they don't know how to behave themselves or they just don't know how to control their alcohol consumption. And if you're a stand-up comedian, you can stop what you're doing and you can tell the person that's being loud because they're drunk to be quiet. But when you're doing improv, it's very hard to do that because you're trying to keep the reality on the stage of what you've just created so, let's I just want to get your thoughts on that.
1: I think it depends what improv you're doing i mean i've I've seen a lot of improv, for example, in comedy clubs, so in the Glee Club in Birmingham. There's a trick called Box of frogs. They perform there kind of monthly every other month, and that is a venue that is made for comedy stand up gigging, so people are they come there with that expectation of getting a bit tanked and doing a bit of shouting out. And in improv, we actively encourage audience participation, but then we we also have to measure that and balance it. If, oh, no, we don't want it right now, we want it in a minute when we're asking you. Um, so I've learned from um, the lead from Boxer Frogs, John Trevor, I guess how to how to manage that a little bit on stage. It's e- it is easier, I guess, in some re- regards in short form, because you are kind of stopping and starting and you're going into compare mode. So it is, I guess, in some regards, you can slip in and out of the like, All right, mate. Um, and use those kind of, I guess, audience participation skills. But I've also seen it during long form sets where people are like, right, it's loud and rowdy, so we're just going to have to bring the energy up on stage and we're just going to have to get a bit daft. And also knowing when to call it. I have been in gigs when the audience is just not feeling it and we've gone, yep, yeah, let's call it there. Let's do 40 minutes, <laughs> not 50. Not <50." laughs> oh, well, let's try again tomorrow because <laughs> this audience thinks we're rubbish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, I've seen you do more long form than I have short form, I think. And whereas I do a lot more short form than long form. So when I'm trying to sell shows to venues, sell them the idea of a show, it's easy for me to say, it's just like who lines it anyway. Yeah. Because that's what short form is. But how do you how do you sell a long form show to a venue? Like what do you say to them to get their head around it?
1: Um, it depends on the venue. If they're a venue that enjoy comedy, uh, then you say it's a comedy show and each time it's different. Um and so each time you've got the opportunity to get new audience in, if it's more of a theater venue, then I guess you frame it as it's new theater. It's It brings in a different audience. You bring in a comedy audience into a theater space, et cetera. Um, so I guess it depends on the venue to how you sell it to them. But also there is always, like you touched on earlier, we we know that we can pull in a fairly decent liverpool based improv crowd to come and support a show so any venue that you've got or any show that you're doing you've kind of got at least 30 people that you know that you can bring in um so i think that always sells it but i've so since we last spoke i've joined um, regular job improv um which is amazing and we've done a show in Jimmy's. Hopefully we get to do more. And that's a kind of, I guess, quite a grungy, really cool venue. It's a, they use it for a lot of gigs. It's downstairs. It's got no windows. It's like proper gig space. Um, it's a little bit like the basement theatres and UCB and stuff. And um they were like, yeah, we've seen sketch comedy, but let's, do one show and we'll watch it and we'll see. And I think you have to get people to just take that plunge sometimes of, let me just see you once and then let's talk about it. <laughs> and then there's a bit of pressure to be funny, but I they're normally buying. I hope. <laughs> <laughs>
0: awesome. Now, one of my favourite things about you as an improviser is just your attitude of, we're all in this together. Let's just everyone. Let's just improv together. Let's do things together. Let's work together. I love the attitude because I know there's a lot said about how positive the improv world can be, but at the same time, uh, there is a fair amount of toxicness. Oh, mate, to it.
1: there's always drama. Um, when you get any pe- any humans together, there's going to be some form of. Um, I guess friction, Um, but especially creative people and creative people who like getting on stages and who like to entertain and um, without sounding arrogant, most improvisers around their everyday friends are normally the funniest people in that group. So when you get a lot of people who are normally used to being the funny person together, Mm -hmm. you get a lot of kind of... um, competitiveness without realizing it um to be the funniest or to be the entertainer of the group Um, and people don't do it deliberately it's never done out of malice it's just kind of you take people out of their normal and you put them into a different context and you're bound to have miscommunications misunderstandings and also with improv there's so many different styles of improv that I think what happens is people join troops without necessarily realizing the style of that troupe doesn't align with what they actually want to do. They just want to do some improv. Yeah. Um, but like I said, joining regular job, I have the benefit of knowing that I want to learn more about game of the scene and knowing that Al has set that up as a game of the scene troupe. So it's a very clear direction and focus. Um. And it's the only improv troupe that I've ever been in that's got such a clear, this is our style and we don't deviate from it.
0: Excellent. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like a really positive way to be that clear focus. Yeah.
1: And it stop I think to a degree it stops that like, well let's do it my way, let's do it this way, let's do this, which then causes that kind of under the surface bubbling.
0: Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm also very fortunate because the Oikas are just a really, really lovely group to work with. And um yeah, there's been there's been low sort of anything bubbling under with us because yeah. we we realise we all bring something different to the table. We we share leading sessions. We we openly give each other feedback after sessions, mm-hmm. and yeah, we're always learning, always growing. But they're just a really lo- lovely bunch of people.
1: You were improvised with my mum, so you're the luckiest person ever, because <laughs> <laughs> she's the best person ever. So um. Yeah, I think what what the Oikas have done is um I think it's quite rare what you guys have done and done together. Um and it's lovely. I speak to my mum, well, probably about ten times a day, but mm-hmm. normally I speak to my mum like, every other Wednesday after your rehearsal, um, we'll have a little message or a call and she's always kind of perked up and whatever's gone on that day. You can see the difference in her after an Oika's rehearsal. So it does make me very happy.
0: As we're talking about your mum, uh, she, she's got this thing where she'll always say, when we're doing pun games, I can't do pun games, I can't do pun games. Yeah, and then well, she'll sit back. And then she'll just turn a, turn on or step forwards, depending on whether it's in live or in person. And uh, and then she'll finish with like the best point of the night. And then it's like <laughs> mic drop. And then I oh, said, so, "Oh, we can't follow that." She's just done the best one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> she's an extremely intelligent woman who forgets to remind herself of that a lot of the time. She'll sit and watch a quiz show, and she'll just under her breath do all the answers. And I'm like, "Did <laughs> you know that?" And she's like, "Yeah." <laughs> And she I think she just sometimes forgets how clever she is. <laughs> I'm like, no, you're real clever mum.
0: <laughs> yeah, and she's she's great to improvise with. And I think that's what I love about the Oikas. It's such a mixed bag of people. There's not really two people that offer the same thing in the Oikas, and that's one of the things that makes it work, I think.
1: Yeah, I think I've noticed that when watching you guys, and like hopefully that'll just, I think, rub off on other improv troops, hopefully, of that, like, oh, no, it's okay to have different, I guess, experiences and come at things from different angles but still be doing the same style of improv. Because I think what people mistakenly think being on the same creative track or style People mistake that for everyone in the troupe has to be the same. And I don't think that's the same thing. Whereas that's the beauty of regular job as well as that kind of, I'm um, a doctor, Mike's a copyright, Becky's a clown, Sam's an actress. Do you know what I mean? Al's an actor and a teacher. I do charity work as a job. We're all very different and our days look different. So when we come into a rehearsal space, we come at things from such different angles that I think that's what makes it work as well.
0: And when you go into a practice session with regular job, for example, when you know you're not actually leading the session like you do when you go to LCI, do you go into it with a slightly different mindset?
1: Yeah, I'm so much more chill. <laughs> um, <laughs> I go in and I'm like, well, normally I'm sat at home at like, Court, like half six, and I'm like, oh, I should go to rehearsal, um, and I don't have to do that kind of getting myself into their headspace of doing it because <clears throat> the rehearsal does that for me. That's what a warm up is. A warm up is to get you in the space. But when you're the teacher, you have to have done that before the warm up. Yeah. So even though you're doing a two hour session, you've been in the headspace of improv for two and a half hours because you've had to get yourself in it before you get everyone else into it. So But when I'm doing a regular job rehearsal, I just have to turn up. (laughs) And if I've read something that week or watched some improv, then I'll obviously bring that experience with me and I'll share it. But we also have a coach every other week via Zoom called Sarah, Sarah Classable from America. Um, And so that's great because you literally come into a session knowing that someone else has fully planned it, knowing that you're going to leave with some wisdom and knowing that you're going to leave with some notes for you. Um, which is a really nice experience.
0: I just want to talk about warm-ups. You mentioned warm-ups there because anyone that knows me as an improviser knows I hate warm-ups. Really? Yeah. And I'll tell you why. It's because if I'm going to go to a session and let's say it's a two-hour session, then I feel like 20 minutes of fun playing time is wasted on warm-ups. I just want to go and play instantly. I don't... (laughs) I don't necessarily need that time to get my head in the game, but I understand how important they are for everyone else, especially um, when Tech and I are leading um, sessions for Flinch of Funny Bone or Glossop Improv. I know how important they are. But if I'm going to other people's sessions, I'm always a bit like, oh, warm-ups, oh, oh, it's that game, oh, the bunny bunny, I hate the bunny bunny. (laughs) It's just, um, yeah, warm-ups... I don't know they just don't do it for me
1: see i I quite like warm ups and I think I always make sure that whatever theme my session is on, for example, physicality, that my warm up correlates to that, so I feel like i if you give something a purpose, then even people who don't enjoy warm ups as much are gonna buy into them a little bit more because the purpose of it is linked to the kind of the the fun bit, the play bit um and I've been in sessions where I'm like, all right, we're, we're warm now. Come on, let's move it on. Um, <laughs> but I've also been in sessions where I'm like, you want me to improvise straight away? Please don't. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a balance. And um, the beauty of being in a troupe, I guess, is that sometimes you can be like, are we all ready? Yeah, let's just jump straight in. Or yeah. kind of, no, oh, let's, we'll warm up today because I don't know about you, but I feel rusty. Um, so, yeah. And one thing that me and my wayward Souls used to do is behind our backs, we'd be like, right, who, out of 10, how much do you want to warm up today? And then we'd show our fingers. Ah, and, cool. like, we'd normally sync up and be like, yeah, all right, let's do, 10, like, five minutes or whatever. Because um, we were all quite similar vibe with warming up.
0: I think probably for me it's generally because it, the session comes after a day at work and... Yeah. I improv all day as a teacher so I'm like I'm ready if you're doing it all day I'm warm whereas
1: (laughs) I sit in front of a computer all day so sometimes it's nice to kind of speak to other humans and do something fun in a room
0: (laughs) but what you said about preparing your warm-ups to make sure that they lead into what you're doing that's something that second I do as well so yeah big big fan of that
1: and then sometimes someone will be like, Oh, can we play this warm up game? Um, cause I've, I've invented a few warm up games over the year at LCI, which are just daft. So there might be like, I always know, for example, if, um, Hannah Carson is in the room, I'll play a certain game or do you know what I mean? And I know yeah. like I taught one good see and she hates bunny bunny. But to the point where it's real, like she she loves to hate it. <laughs> so if I know that she's in a session, we'll always play Bunny Bunny because it just it's the funniest thing ever to watch her try and do Bunny Bunny with a straight face. Uh, so there's certain warm-up games that you know, kind of certain people enjoy as a teacher, and you'll be like, "We'll play that for you today." <laughs> so I always play the standers game if Hannah Carson's there because she loves it, um, and Sab. So yeah.
0: So you've mentioned Hannah a couple of times there, Hannah Carson, previous show guest. I just, I'm just, i sure she won't mind if we do this because I just want to use her as a bit of a case study for you because she is part of that cohort that you know you've had a lot to do with over the last year. And she's doing great things right now. She's a member of Broken Chair and she always lights up the stage whenever she's performing. I just want to get your sort of take on seeing someone like Hannah that you've worked with how does it feel to watch that journey and and see how far she's come?
1: There are some people who come at improv and just instantly get it, and all that they need is a little bit of encouragement to to ground their energy. So what I mean by that is to to really stand and just normally just stand on stage and to really embrace their capabilities. But, yeah, I guess kind of hone them in a little bit. Um, And then to acknowledge the fact that they're good. (laughs) And I think that's what um, I spent a lot of time with Hannah doing, of being like, no, no, you are really, really good, and you've got a lot of capability. Um, Go and read this, go and watch this, speak to this person, do this extra class, um, and hear where your skills lie. And that kind of strength based of like, look at the amazing characters that you can do, take that energy into your physicality, et cetera, or your object work. Um, And to be honest, I I wouldn't say I've had a great deal of influence on the fact that she's as good an improviser as she is. I think all I've done is remind her of it regularly. Um, And I was over the moon when Anne rang me to be like, we've, we've asked Hannah to be part of Broken Chair. um, Because all Hannah wanted when she started improv was to be in a troupe. Because she's the most kind of people person. She just wants to kind of, yeah, be part of a community and be part of something. And I think her end goal was always to be part of a troupe. And also musical improv. Oh my goodness, she's so talented. Um, we went to the British Improv Project, um earlier this year, and she did a cell block tango, and she was absolutely incredible so yeah, if you've got any musical improv to get Hannah Carson involved, she's very good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's something I wanna experience a bit more of, actually musical improv um because it's I love music, I am a musician, and second and I ran our first of Funny Funnybone present show over the summer. And I had a go at some stand-up. So I was the compare, but I did it in... I, w- I wasn't just like a, a normal compare. I was more of a, a stand-up style compare, And I had basically three sections between the acts where I thought, right, I'm going to have a, a go at a different style of improv, a different style of comedy in each one. And the third block that I did led to me... Uh, improving a song. So I had someone up from the audience, did a little interview with him, and then hit the music and just sung a, a song on the spot and absolutely loved it. It's the sort of thing I've done loads in the past with children. I've always got my guitar out, uh, making up songs for the children. I used to do it when I was a musician back in the day my sound check would often be me coming out when there was a bit of an audience there. And so they can get the levels. I would make up a song on the spot. Yeah. So I do have a lot of history of it, but to be there in that environment, just with a backing track playing and me doing a little interview and trying to make it like an actual part of the show, it was, it was a really fun experience. I loved it. And I'm definitely going to do more of it.
1: All right. It, it, It terrifies me. I can't think of anything worse than singing on a stage. (laughs) I hate the thought of it. Um, And hats off to anyone who does it. But I I think also I've seen musical improv done to the highest level, (laughs) like Showstoppers, Baby Once, Candy, Maydays. So I almost know that I would never be at that level of musical improv. And I... I want to be very good at what I do on stage. So I'm like, there's no point in me trying because I'll never be there, which I think is a terrible way to look at it. But also it just scares the out of me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those things because uh, like, you know, improv on the whole, some people will be like, nope, not for me. Like there could yeah. be really good actors. Nope, not for me. And then I know loads of improvisers that are like, ooh, yeah, musical improv not for me, it doesn't matter how many times they get told you don't have to be a good musician, you don't have to know how to sing, it's not that and they're like no, 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 I'll leave that for other people.
1: Yeah and however much people say that, you do want to hear someone who's good at singing on stage, so don't you, if they're going to sing, like (laughs) (laughs) like anyone can have a go at anything but I'd not get up on stage and try to juggle if I didn't know how to juggle and I just think like sometimes we do we do things in a rehearsal space or in a workshop in a learning environment, which we're not yet ready to do on a stage. Um, yeah. And maybe that's just how I believe it for myself. But yeah, I w- I wouldn't sing on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and people have, and like people I've improved with in the past too. Like we really get on and we're mates and whatever will always put some form of singing into improv for me because, they know, I hate it. Um, and be like, oh, we're going to sing this bit. And I'm like, you know, I hate it. And I will do it because I'm on stage. But I will also not buy you a pint afterwards now. Cause make- <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: funny because when I did do that song in the show, like quite a few people came up after and they were like, you've got a really good voice. And I was like, oh, yeah. thank you very much. But... <laughs> What they didn't know is I, I do actually class myself as a singer, so I would hope I have a good voice. <laughs> yeah,
1: if that. I sang on stage, <laughs> people would come up to me afterwards and check I was all right because it would sound like <laughs> strangulation. So, no, I would. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I would just be mortified. <laughs> <laughs> Not for <me. laughs> I do lots of other things on stage, though. I am, um, yeah. um, I, If it serves the scene, I'll probably do it on stage.
0: When it comes to singing, so my philosophy as a singer has always been, like, I don't think I've got the best singing voice in the world, but I believe when I'm singing on a stage, I can be the best performer in the world.
1: Yeah. And it's about conviction, isn't it? My, yeah. um, my partner's um, in the incomplete works of Shakespeare, um, which is run by Rubber Shakespeare and Winger Improv. And they work together and have done um, a show at Shakespeare North and um, at LJMU. And he he says the same. He's not the best singer in the world. He's a good singer. Um, but as soon as he's on stage and there's musical accompaniment and there's an audience and you've got conviction, you can be the best performer in that moment. And they really honestly, if you've not seen improvised Shakespeare, they're very good.
0: Well, how can we see improvised Shakespeare? Tell us more about it. Where do they have any shows coming up?
1: Uh, so they've actually got a show this week, so it'll be gone by the time this comes okay. out. But, um, I'm sure that they will put some more things on It's with Mark Smith at Winger Improv and Lee Hithersay at the Rubber Shakespeare Company. Um, and they join forces because, um, obviously, Mark does a lot of improv, he is, um, uh, one of the teachers at Liverpool, John Moores, Lee runs over Shakespeare. And I think together they were like, actually, we can not just put on one show at um, Shakespeare North, but we can join forces and kind of bring something a bit different. And it's improv with props, which I always kind of, I guess, maybe snobbishly turn my nose up at. (laughs) But having watched them do it and kind of utilise the space and get elements of clowning in, it's, it's so good.
0: On a bit of a tangent, because we've mentioned Shakespeare, I recently watched a new film called The Lost King. Oh, yeah. And it's it's all about the the woman that located the bones of Richard III. Oh, yeah. In Leicester. I think it was in 2012 when it happened. And this film is all about how she went about it and she was never properly credited because she was a woman and she wasn't. Someone that worked in a university, and she had to keep overcoming these barriers. It's a really good film, *The Lost King*. I, I recommend people watch it. In fact, I remember Seki and I spoke to Mark Addy at a comic con a year or two back, and he mentioned he was doing it. And we've been excited for the film since he told us about it. So we finally saw it. But what comes up in the film about Shakespeare is he's basically like a propaganda writer for the Tudors because he wrote about Richard III and people believe these things about him, that he was a hunchback and that he um, murdered his nephews in the tower and things. And apparently, like, the the more it's researched, the evidence suggests that that isn't what happened. It's just what the Tudors wanted people to think. So Shakespeare was their propaganda writer and he wrote all of this stuff and that's what people believe.
1: Yeah, like, the histories were written for the royal families to get them to buy into theatre and Shakespeare. So you write in a way that they want you to write. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like, I, re- I really <clears throat> have got into um, Shakespeare and understanding more, I think, since um, watching Rubber Shakespeare. Because um, they are, I mean, Rubber Shakespeare by themselves are a, they're for kids, they're for families, they're to make Shakespeare fun and accessible. They're daft, but they're also very, very intelligent and their knowledge of Shakespeare is great. So you know that you're getting Shakespeare, but it's in a, I guess, more digestible way. Um, so yeah, it is good fun.
0: It sounds like something I'd be into because I'm not a Shakespeare fan, generally. I am a fan of the stories. Like I believe Shakespeare's stories have had such an impact on particularly modern cinema. I think pretty right. much any film you watch, if you break it down, it's like, oh, that's a Shakespeare storyline. Just
1: <laughs> Yeah, there's, a, there's only a finite amount of storylines within Shakespeare who just moulds them and changes them. Sorry, I got distracted then because Ryan's going out to get a new tyre on his car. <laughs> 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 so if I stopped mid-sentence, that's why.
0: It's all right. Um, so yeah, the, the Shakespeare thing is what we were talking <clears throat> about there. Oh yeah, So you can trace most things back to a Shakespeare story, but I really struggle with the language. When I was in school, I remember yeah. they were trying to teach it, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't even make any sense.
1: Yeah. I think as well, reading it and hearing it are two completely different things with, like, I'm a pentameter and things. And that's another thing that Robert Shakespeare do really well is that they kind of, they still speak Shakespearean, But because they're so familiar with it, they also kind of riff and banter with the audience, still in, like, I am a bantameter in Shakespearean ways. So it's like, oh, okay, that's how it's meant to be said. That's how it's meant to be done. Um, And my partner's partial to reeling off a bit of Shakespeare after he's had a few drinks. (laughs) And it's just lovely to hear someone who's able to do it like you said when I'm reading it I'm like stopping and starting and I'm like what does that mean but I think a bit like singing if you just say it with conviction and if you say it as as it's meant to be done then it tends to fit in context and make sense as you go as well um but yeah I am I think the more moving back to Liverpool and being part of kind of a creative scene which isn't just improv which is kind of artists poets actors producers directors um i've realized how much i didn't know about theatre um and how much i'm i guess learning shakespeare included over the past year of like oh okay i didn't realize this or i didn't realize that or kind of i didn't realize that i'd enjoy that element of theatre before um and i guess shakespeare's just one of it <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's cool that you've moved to a city where there is so much already going on and you can tap into it. It's quite different because yeah. uh, Sekhi and I living in a small North Wales town and it's like we're kind of having to build the things that we want that don't yeah. quite exist.
1: Yeah, I mean, whilst there's not the biggest amount of improv in Liverpool, there's a massive amount of creativity and diversity. And being able to tap into that, I think is great. And obviously anyone who's, who's known me for five minutes knows that my favorite place in the world's the Liverpool Arts Bar. <laughs> and so I'll just go and sit in there and you just see who you see and kind of get chatting to anybody and making connections and kind of building relationships in a really organic, safe way in a space that feels like it's for anybody Um, and yeah that's how I've made most of my friends since moving home um, is in there and through there really so having set spaces for creative people to come together I think doesn't really exist in a lot of places across the country Um, and it's great
0: I think for me because that's what improv has done for me it's introduced me To loads of people I wouldn't necessarily have connected with otherwise. And loads of great things have happened because I've been able to just organically grow ideas with people. Oh, yeah, we should do that. Oh, yeah, let's try this. Whereas in in, in like normal world, the people I speak to, they don't understand improv. I think one of my colleagues said to me the other day, she said, Ian... If I had a pound for every time you mentioned improv, then I'd be rich by now because she's all you talk about these days. And I'm like, well, I can't help it. It's just part of my life now. It's, it's, It's what I love.
1: And the people that you meet, like obviously Becky Webb's one of my best friends in the world. We've only known each other a year. But most people who meet us now, if they saw us together, they wouldn't know that like Jonathan Pitts, who came over from Chicago for my IL, was like, oh, I just assume you guys had known each other forever. You've got such a good energy together. And that's because creatively, we share a lot of commonality. <clears throat> yeah. And we use that to kind of, we feel so safe together on stage that we'll try anything, we'll have a crack at it. But we'll also sit together afterwards and kind of put the world to rights. And um, I mean, I'm going for a walk for, with her later. Do you know what I mean? We'll just yeah. kind of walk for hours and chat, not just about improv, but it seeps into everything, doesn't it? And, um, I think there's a lot to be said for kind of when you get creative with someone, it kind of forms a bit of a bond. And then you're like, well, we're kind of linked now. <laughs> um, and I think it, if you're friends with the people that you do creative things with, it not only makes you a better creative, but I think it makes your friendship better.
0: Yeah. Oh, that was. <laughs> and the fact that you and your partner are both creative, yeah, I think I think that helps. Because Seki and I were both creative, and we both love improv, but we have separate things as well. But the fact that there's that level of understanding of the creative process, yeah. I think it really helps.
1: And the time, like knowing that rehearsal rehearsals are never a normal time, are they? when you're doing rehearsals for a gig or he's doing a show or whatever, like you're like ships in the night, kind of one of us will be rehearsing six to eight, the other one's seven to nine or, yeah. <clears throat> and you also know that kind of with being creatives as well, you take work where you can. So um it's that like not being precious about kind of each other's time and forcing each other to go and, step out and do creative things. Um, It's probably a nightmare for our neighbours, though, because we are always doing ridiculous voices or singing in the house, or do you know what I mean? So they probably don't like it, but we don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: just one final thing. I just want to say one of the things I enjoy most about your improv... You mentioned their ridiculous voices. It's your characterization. One of my favourite <laughs> things in improv is characters. I love when I just instantly see someone transformed and it's it's your whole physical thing, but it's your yeah. voice as well. I love it.
1: I am, I am obsessed with watching people transform themselves into characters in TV, in films, um, and like Julie Walters and all of that, it's, for me that's my aspiration to be someone who can kind of, because I, I can do good characters. And I think it's, for me, it's maintaining it because I'll be kind of 15 minutes into a set and I'm like, I completely forgot which accent <laughs> i had and how things to walk. Um, <laughs> and I have to bring it back and remind myself of it. So I think um, it's, it's a really difficult skill to hone, but I love it. And I, mate, I practice accents in my car all the time. I do a lot of driving for work, back and forth from the Midlands. And I, um, yeah, I sing songs in all sorts of accents. I'm driving.
0: I will teach children an entire lesson in a different accent, yeah. just for the fun of it. Just because I love doing accents and I like. Yeah, to Yeah, people on the
1: M6 must look at me like, "What is she doing? <laughs> I'm just singing Set Fire to the Rain' in a Scottish accent. Leave me alone."
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I love going to like drive-throughs and things like that. And doing it all in a different voice.
1: (laughs) I mean, my sister used to do that all the time. Yeah. Because my sister's an actress and she, my sister's um, ability to do accents and characterisation is incredible. So I I think me and my sister just naturally grew up doing that and watching sketch shows, watching kind of Smack the Pony and Green Wing and things. So being able to do big daft characters is kind of, and my mum's great at it. We do it as a family all the time. We used to just do it around the house. So I think it's just part of me.
0: See, I'm kind of the black sheep of my family <laughs> for the the fact that I do do all this.
1: Oh, no, no, it's part, it's 100%. I mean, my auntie brings a plastic horse's head when we go on holiday. So <laughs> for no reason other than just in case... So I think that gives you a, <laughs> an insight into.
0: I want a note to leave it on.
1: Uh, well, yeah, exactly. There you are, Auntie Maureen. The horse's head made it in.
0: <laughs> um, so you do have, a course, an eight-week course coming up. Yeah. Which I'm just trying to work it in my head. When this show goes out, there might so still be enough time.
1: The, it starts on the third of November. Um, which is in uh,
0: three weeks. I feel it's the day that this might go out. I'm just trying to work it out in my head. Um, But you've got that going on? You've got the drop-ins? You're still regularly doing drop-ins? Yeah,
1: and um, so Emma is going to start directing some work at the Royal Court over the next few months, so I'm going to pick up some of the drop-ins as well. Um, And also, I'm going to um ad hoc support with um the Atom um improv gym, which is going to run on Sundays. Um uh R Space and Rodney Street, so I'm gonna support with that. We've got some Atom um slash regular job gigs coming up. So there's lots going on improv wise over the next few months, hopefully.
0: And people can find you on social media?
1: Yeah, you are Facebook or I do have. I've got two Instagrams. I've got a normal Instagram and an improv Instagram. Uh, because, like you said earlier about like your colleagues, I think my work and um, my friends were like, do you do anything other than improv? Now? Are you still <laughs> our friend? So I set up a separate one. Also, <laughs> to call my favorite improvisers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right then, everyone, go check out Jen on social media and turn up at her shows and see how wonderful she is and go to her drop in sessions.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Uh, it's been uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, chat. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, my
0: love. Well, thank you so much to Jen. It was really great to have her back on the show. And, you know, there, there is that old saying what a difference a year makes and what a difference a year has made. When we last had Jen on the show, it was summer of 2021 and she was only just scratching the surface of of getting involved in lci and now it's hard to think of lci without thinking of jen you know a year has happened so much i can think to my own personal life if i think this time last year where i was in life compared to this time now this year i think wow yeah i couldn't possibly have seen me being in this place a year year ago um you know there's been lots of personal uh, struggles to overcome in this last year and i think it it's good to all to maybe just take a moment and reflect on where we were this time last year have you achieved what you wanted to achieve have you overcome struggles uh, whether it's personal struggle whether it's uh, something you're working through with other people And I just think, yeah, just celebrate that. You're still here. You're still going strong. And it was really great to just talk to Jen and think, yeah, the last year, so much has happened and so much positivity as well. LCI continues to go from strength to strength. And the fact that Jen was able to step in and and help Emma out when Emma was injured, and then that's all of a sudden morphed into Jen being... An integral part of, of the LCI um, way of life now. I just think it's great. So yeah, maybe everyone listening, just just take a moment, take stock, reflect on the journey you've been on over the last year, and then think ahead, you know, this time next year, what what will you be thinking about? What struggles do you think you're gonna overcome and what opportunities do you think you're gonna take? Sometimes it's it's good to just take stock. I bet there's lots of you listening that have been previous guests on the show and maybe lots has happened in your life and in improv since then and if you want to come back on the show then I would love to get you back on the show Um, so yeah just, just reach out reach out to me directly reach out to Emma she can put you in touch with me and maybe you've never been on the show maybe you're a regular listener maybe you're a new listener and you think hey I'm involved in Liverpool Comedy Improv in some way even if you've just been and taken one class one session one drop-in. i would love to get your input maybe you've never actually taken part in an improv session but maybe you've been to see some of the shows and i'd love to talk to you get the point of view of someone that goes to watch but doesn't want to to do it because i'm fascinated because i love improv and i do so much improv now but i know there's loads of people that enjoy it but they don't want to do it so maybe you're one of those people I'd love to speak to you as well. I'm quite happy to just talk to anyone, really. I just love getting people on to have a chat. Um, and yeah, well, if you haven't tried improv, but you are interested in getting into improv or already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene, then all the information you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk. You can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Improv. This show has a specific page on Facebook. You can find it on Facebook. Just search for the Liverpool Comedy Improv cast. And all information you need about the show is there. There's a new trailer every Thursday before a new episode is released every other Monday. Uh, So yeah, just go back. If you're new to the show, go back through the archives and, and check out some of the fantastic guests we've had on. So many fascinating stories and all connected through LCI in some way. If you're listening on apple or spotify then i please do encourage you to give us five stars leave us a review and you know share the podcast do whatever you can it's little things like that that really help to boost the show and uh, get our name out there if you're interested in following me on any of the social medias you can find me on facebook twitter youtube instagram tiktok I think they're all the ones. I think I've listed them all. Um, Just search for at Ian Luke Jones. That's my name across the socials. And, yeah, go check out some of my things. I haven't really posted anything new on YouTube for a while, but there's the whole treasure trove of things on there for you to go and explore. And that pretty much brings us to the end of today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Just talking to Jen there, I could talked to jen all day she is a little improv yoda i guess she's so knowledgeable so fun and just if you ever get the opportunity to take a class with her do if you ever get the opportunity to go and watch her perform then definitely do because you will not be disappointed So there we go. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I look forward to bringing another fantastic episode your way in just a couple of weeks. But before I go, here are some words that are wise, wise, wise. Always remember, whatever the situation, to treat life like improv. And yes, and...